Mark 14, 32 to 52, God's word says this. And they went to a place called Gethsemane, and he said to his disciples, sit here while I pray. And he took with him Peter and James and John and began to be greatly distressed and troubled. And he said to them, my soul is very sorrowful, even to death. Remain here and watch. And going a little farther, he fell on the ground and prayed that if it were possible, the hour might pass from him. And he said, Abba, Father, all things are possible for you. Remove this cup from me, yet not what I will, but what you will. And he came and found them sleeping. And he said to Peter, Simon, are you asleep? Could you not watch one hour? Watch and pray that you may not enter into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. And again he went away and prayed, saying the same words. And again he came and found them sleeping, for their eyes were very heavy, and they did not know what to answer him. And he came the third time and said to them, Are you still sleeping and taking your rest? It is enough. The hour has come. The Son of Man is betrayed into the hands of sinners. Rise, let us, let us be going. See, my betrayer is at hand. Verse 43, And immediately while he was still speaking, Judas came, one of the twelve, with him a crowd with swords and clubs from the chief priests and the scribes and the elders. Now the betrayer had given them a sign, saying, The one I will kiss is the man. Seize him and lead him away under guard. And when he came, he went up to him at once and said, Rabbi, and he kissed him. And they laid hands on him and seized him. But one of those who stood by drew his sword and struck the servant of the high priest and cut off his ear. Jesus said to them, Have you come out against a robber with swords and clubs to capture me? Day after day I was with you in the temple teaching, and you did not seize me. But let the scriptures be fulfilled. And they all left him and fled. In verse 51, And a young man followed him with nothing but a linen cloth about his body, and they seized him. But he left the linen cloth and ran away naked. This is the word of the Lord. The hour is near. The disciples have just vehemently denied, if you recall last week, that they will fall away from Jesus as he pre- predicted that they would be scattered like sheep. Peter said emphatically, If I must die with you, I will not deny you. But he and the others can't even stay awake. The irony of Peter's words sting even more when you reflect upon Jesus' emphasis that they stay alert and awake and on guard just a few days prior, if you recall, Mark 13. Jesus is here surrounded by friends, but is desperately alone. We witness in this passage more clearly than in any other passage of Scripture the humanity of Jesus. And yet... He remains perfect. Jesus was both perfect in obedience to the law of God. He was sinless and perfectly obeyed the eternal redemptive will of his Father, which brings us to our main idea for this morning. Jesus is fully obedient to the will of God the Father. Jesus is fully obedient to the will of God the Father. Jesus, in the height of emotional pain and agony, the Gospel of Luke highlights this point, describes him sweating drops of blood. 
Mark says he came to the three closest disciples, greatly distressed, James, John, and Peter. He comes to them. He, he pulls them away from the rest of the group, and he comes to them in distress as his friends. If ever there was a time to back away from his purpose, this would be the time. You see, church, he knew what, what lay before him. He knew he would hear the words from the crowd, crucify him, crucify him. He knew he would feel his flesh ripped from his body as he was beaten and whipped. He knew he would drag the crossbeam that only he could bear through the streets up that hill to Golgotha. He knew that the soldiers would drive nails in his hands and his feet. He knew he would feel the cross drop into the post hole with a thud. He knew that his lungs would labor under the weight and strain of his body on the cross as he thrusted himself heavenward by his nail-pierced feet. And he knew that the weight of every sin ever committed and every sin that would ever be committed was placed squarely on his shoulders. And he knew that his father would turn his back to him as Jesus absorbed God's full wrath. And yet, here in the garden, he cries out to his father. And these words in verse 36, Abba, Father, all things are possible for you. Remove this cup from me, yet not what I will, but what you will. The heart of Jesus, who is fully obedient to the will of God, the Father. We have here a prelude to the cross, a prelude to the cross. We know in the cross, the physical act of bearing the sin of the world is upon Jesus. And this scene here connects us to the emotional distress that Jesus faces in his redemptive calling. Church, I'm sorry, but this is a dark morning. This is a dark passage that we have. And we have to be in the darkness in order that our celebration a week from now can be that much greater, that we can celebrate the resurrected King. But here, we are in the dark with Jesus. Our staff team over the past few months has been reading through a book called Gentle and Lowly by Pastor Dane Ortland. Just this past week, this statement struck many of us as we gathered in our staff meeting and, and conversed over the book, what we had discovered uh, the week prior. And this quote came about, Daniel Ortland says this, God punished Jesus not for the sin of just one person, but many. What must it mean when Isaiah says of the servant that, quote, the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all? What was it for Christ to swallow down the cumulative twistedness, self-enthronement, natural God-hatred of the elect? What must it have been for the sum total of righteous, divine wrath generated not just by one man's sin, but the iniquity of us all? 
to come crashing down on a single soul. We come to that moment in this passage. We see the emotional toll of the calling that Jesus has upon his life. This is what Jesus faces. He faces knowing that the full wrath of God will be poured out on him. He will not only endure physical pain, but also pain down into the depths of his very soul. He will be ripped apart from the inside out for you and for me, church. Every single trespass on him. And it's becoming clear that no one will be there to support him, to help him, or to encourage him. The disciples he has poured three years of his life into are in this moment fast asleep. All he asked for was for them to to stand watch, to pray. But instead, he gets nothing. Jesus struggles with his Father alone. It's our first point. Jesus struggles with his Father alone. Mark 14, 33 to 35, and then we'll skip through about the beginning part of three other verses where we see that the, the disciples have abandoned Jesus. It says, and he took with him Peter and James and John. Let me remind you who these men are. These are the men who were with Jesus on the Mount of Transfiguration. They have seen the glory of Christ, and yet here Jesus asked them to stay watch, and what do they do? They fall asleep. And so Jesus comes to them and it says, and began to be greatly distressed and troubled. And he said to them, my soul is very sorrowful, even to death. Do you feel the weight here that Jesus is carrying? Remain here and watch. And going a little further, he fell on the ground and prayed that if it were possible, the hour might pass from him. We skip ahead. And he came and found them sleeping, the disciples. And again, he came and found them sleeping. And he came the third time and said to them, Are you still sleeping? Take your rest. Can you imagine? Your friend, your teacher, the one you have promised to never deny. That's what the disciples had just collectively promised. That you will always stand by their side. And here they are. They can't even stay awake for Jesus. Jesus struggles with his father alone. The prophecy that Jesus spoke just prior in Mark uh, chapter 14, verse 27. Jesus quotes the Old Testament prophet Zechariah. It says, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep will be scattered. At the end of this passage, we will see that come to fulfillment. After he has confronted the disciples, they will flee as the mob comes to take Jesus away. Even a young follower of Jesus at the end of this passage, perhaps maybe scholars have thought that maybe this is Mark describing himself as the young man fleeing. We don't know that for sure. But literally, this young guy runs out of his clothing to get away from what's going on. says in verse 50 to 51, And they all left him and fled. 
And a young man followed him with nothing but a linen cloth about his body, and they seized him. But he left the linen cloth and ran away naked. Church, everyone is gone. Jesus is alone. I want to pause and ask you this question. Have you ever felt alone? Have you ever felt that depth of loneliness? Maybe you're going through something and no one else can relate to what that thing is and you're just alone. You feel like it's only a weight that you can bear. I want you to hear me this morning. Jesus understands and identifies with you in your loneliness. He's that good to us. Jesus struggles with you. Christian, Jesus is with you in your loneliness. And yet in this scene, Jesus does not waffle from the plan. He does not shy away. He knows what he must endure. And so he leans into the means that God has given every child of his to commune with him. He prays. Point number two, Jesus' turmoil is overcome through prayer. Jesus' turmoil is overcome through prayer. Have you ever felt like this before? That you're, the, the turmoil and the struggle, it's just too much. And the only answer that you have is to roll out of bed and to get down by the bedside on your knees and cry out to God, Abba, Father, please. You just collapse in prayer before the Father. That's what we see here in Jesus says in going a little further, he fell on the ground. It doesn't say he kneeled on the ground. He fell. That's the weight of emotion that is on Jesus. That's the weight of the stress that is on. He falls on his face. And he prayed that if it were possible, the hour might pass from him. And he said, Abba, Father, all things are possible for you. Remove this cup from me. And hear these words, yet not what I will, but what you will. And again, he went away and prayed, saying the same words. Of all things to do. See, generally when we're in this type of moment, we do everything else but pray. We stress out, we write things, we get angry with people. But here, Jesus falls down in prayer before his Father. Of all things to do, perhaps he could run away. He could flee the scene. The disciples are asleep here, right? It's dark. Death looms. Run, Jesus! No. Jesus crumbles before his heavenly Father. And he cries out to him. What an incredible moment that we have here. Men, maybe in your life you need to stop trying to be so stoic and crumble before the Lord. And cry out to him for mercy. Look at the intimacy of the relationship that Jesus has. The word that he uses. Abba, Father. In other words, he's saying this. Dad, 
please take this from me. Dad, take this from me. Church, I want your heart to be gripped by that statement. Abba, Father. My son's 13 years old. I love my children. I can remember when my son was three. He likes to ride bikes and scooters. He's active. I can remember sitting on the front porch in a little low-lying, like, beach-like chair. He's about three years old, and he had one of those little Razor scooters, and unfortunately, one of the handle grips on one side had fallen off, so it was this exposed metal tube. And he's riding around me in, in circles, and he clips the back of my chair. I can hear him, and he falls. And you know when you hear that gasp, like, you know someone's going to let out a big cry, but they take in that, they draw in that big air, you know, <gasps> Because he had landed on that handlebar right here. If you ever look at his face, he has a nice scar right around this, the corner of his chin. And it, there's no other way to describe it. It kind of filleted his chin back open to the point that when we took him to emergency, the, the nurse actually thought it had gone all the way through into his mouth. That's how deep it was. And my son was, when he finally caught his breath, he's crying out. And I, I scooped him up in my arms and I grabbed a towel and I wrapped it on his face. And I went running in and got the keys and mom was freaking out. We all jam into the car and fortunately the ER was just up the road from our house. And we drive up and we take him in. And as typical as of ERs, it's packed. There's people in the hallways. They see it's a child. They take him back immediately and they, they put him on a gurney. And they start cleaning out the wound, and this little three-year-old boy becomes the Hulk, right? I mean, he's the strongest human being on the face of the planet. And so we have to get a blanket and wrap him around to the gurney so that he can't move as they clean out his chin and restrain his arms. And then, as they stuck the needle in to start numbing his chin, he starts just freaking, Dad! And, and I had to lay on top of him with four other people. Dad, save me! He doesn't know. He doesn't know that they're not trying to kill him, that they're trying to help him. What do I want to do in that moment as a father? Please cut me open and let me take his place. I never cried so much in my life as seeing my son in excruciating pain. Imagine the heart of the Father in this moment. As Jesus cries out, Dad, take this from me. I want you to feel that, church. Imagine the depth of pain. I, my pain doesn't even scratch the surface. I knew he was going to be fine. I knew they weren't killing him. They were helping him. God the Father knows what is coming for Jesus. Oh. Imagine the depth of pain shared in this moment between father and son. Jesus doesn't just... Pray to God, though. But he submits and he acts according to the will of the Father. Yet, not what I will, but what you will. 
Brings us to our third point. Jesus submits to the will of his Father. I promise you we'll get to some good news here. But not just yet. 700 years prior to this moment, the prophet Isaiah tells of what would happen to the servant of the Lord. In Isaiah 53.10, I want to encourage you this week, meditate on Isaiah 53 as we head towards Good Friday. You're going to see all of that fulfilled in Christ. God's word says this, yet it was the will of the Lord to crush him. You see, church, He said in verse 49, but let the scriptures be fulfilled. Isaiah 53.10, yet it was the will of the Lord to crush him. Church, this is no haphazard plan. This is no accident. This is no mistake. But rather things are unfolding exactly as God had planned. And here we witness Jesus submit to the will of his Father. The final scene is at hand. The mob comes to take the Savior away. Jesus doesn't just pray to the Father and state He will do as the Father wills, but He submits to the will and He acts out in accordance to the will of His Father. Verses 43 to 49, And immediately while He was still sleeping, Judas came, one of the twelve, with and with him a crowd with swords and clubs. This is a scary mob. From the chief priests and the scribes and the elders... Now the betrayer had given him them a sign saying, The one I will kiss is the man. Seize him and lead him away under guard. And when he came, he went up to him at once and said, Rabbi, and he kissed him. And they laid hands on him and seized him. But one of those who stood by drew his sword and struck the servant of the high priest and cut off his ear. And Jesus said to them, Have you come out as against a robber? With swords and clubs to capture me? Day after day I was with you? You cowards, right? In the temple teaching, and you did not seize me, but let the Scriptures be fulfilled. It was the will of the Lord to crush him. It's what must happen. They had every opportunity to arrest him, but under the cover of darkness, a great mob with swords and clubs comes to take the Lamb of God to the slaughter. The mob is enlisted by the chief priests and the scribes and the elders. In other words, Israel is represented by this mob. The leaders of Israel are always go before the nation. They continue here their path of rejection of their Messiah. And they do so under the cover of darkness. But Jesus, he submits not to the will of the mob but to the will of his Father. You see, with one fell swoop of his hand, Jesus could have laid these peasants to waste, right? He's that powerful. But no, the Scriptures needed to be fulfilled. He submits to the will of his Father. He is God in the flesh but willingly he is taken away. And everyone scatters. Jesus is alone. Jesus will be alone until he emerges from the grave in a few days. One of his closest friends will deny ever knowing him. 
Not once or twice, but three times. He'll stand trial alone as the crowd mocks him and calls for his crucifixion. And he will cry out to his father one last time in just a short time from here. As he hangs from the cross, he will draw in breath and he will experience the collision and height of agony as pain grips his body and his heart is gripped with pain. As the Father turns away, Jesus will cry out with a loud voice, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? The modern hymn says this, How deep the Father's love for us, how vast beyond all measure, that He should give His only Son to make a wretch His treasure. How great the pain of searing loss, the Father turns His face away as wounds which mar the chosen one bring many sons to glory. Behold the man upon a cross, my sin upon his shoulders. Ashamed, I hear my mocking voice. Church, it was our sin that held him there. Call out among the scoffers. It was my sin that held him there until it was accomplished. His dying breath has brought me life. I know that it is finished. And this, church, is the heart of Christ for sinners and sufferers. And so what does all this mean for you and for me? Hear these words. Jesus was forsaken at the cross so that you do not walk alone. And through the power of of the Spirit, you can, as Jesus did here, you can pray and discern and walk in the will of God. We are Spirit-empowered followers of Jesus Christ. In Deuteronomy 31, we have this beautiful promise that Moses gives to Joshua as he's handing over leadership of God's people. Moses promises Joshua this. Moses, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, says these words. These words are written. They are God's words. Says this in Deuteronomy 31.8, It is the Lord who goes before you. Jesus went before us to the cross. He will be with you. He will, hear this, He will not leave you or forsake you. Church, that is good news. And so he says this, do not fear or be dismayed. That same promise that Moses handed off to Joshua holds true to those who have been bought with the precious blood of Jesus Christ, Christian. Jesus goes before you. Hear this. He went before you as your representative on the cross. We were marred with sin by the representation of Adam's fall. Adam came and he sinned. He willfully disobeyed God and we are born into that sin. We are sinful and don't think more highly of yourselves. We would have made the same decision. But God sent the last Adam. The last Adam is Jesus Christ. 
And the last Adam has gone before us, representing our sin before the Father. He was forsaken at the cross, so church, you don't have to walk alone. Christian, God is with you. And He's in you. And because his wrath has been turned away, God, I want you to hear this. You need to believe this. God is for you. He is for you. He will not leave you or forsake you. Why? Because through the blood of Jesus Christ, he has poured out his Holy Spirit within you. So that you are transformed. You are regenerated. You are never the same. This is the good news. We are born again. We are brought to new life. To be vessels of his love and mercy and grace. And so that we can have communion with the Father. We are in right relationship with the Father because of what the Son has done. And because of that amazing grace, our lives should be transformed as a response to God's goodness. The veil, there was a veil that separated in the temple, the Holy of Holies. The veil has been ripped apart from top to bottom. The veil that separated God from sinful humanity has been ripped so that access to God is available to those who will place their faith and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. And through Jesus, you are never alone or forsaken. And so church, this morning, embrace your position in Jesus. Your position has changed. One of enmity with God, and now through Christ, you are a friend, a son and daughter of God. God calls you his child. And when we embrace our position in Christ, as Jesus has modeled for us already, be ready for whatever God has willed for your life. And so you pray and discern, and you walk, you act in the will of God as an act of worship, as a response to what God has done for you through his grace. And we pray this same prayer, Abba, Dad, Father, all things are possible for you. Remove this cup from me. And then we say this, yet not what I will, but what you will. 